Wow. Thank you. You guys are too much. All right, all right, all right. Sit down. Oh, thank you. What a, an amazing moment. Um, I realized after I got up this morning that I should probably have like a farewell speech. And I, it did not even occur to me. I've just been working on my sermon all week. That's, then I realized, wait, wait a minute. I should probably, so I don't have a farewell speech. I, I just have a regular sermon. I figured, what's what I'm here for? And uh, at the same time, I know that when our new pastor is installed and our supervisor is here and we're laying hands on that person, um, I will have a farewell speech for you at that time. Okay. So this morning, I do want to just get into the word. But before I do, I, I just want to say thanks for a couple of old friends who have dropped by. Uh, Jim and Elaine Lander have been a strong part of our team for years and years and years and years. They moved to Enumclaw, attend faithfully a church out there now. But they're here today. Can you two stand up? We just want to say thank you for your investment in RCC. Yeah, another family who uh, has invested strongly. In fact, I think one of them got saved here at RCC um, is here this morning, Brian and Candy Lords. And would you guys stand up? We just want to say welcome back. Welcome back. We miss you. <laughs> we miss you guys. Uh, not to mention my nephew, Aaron and Courtney, and their kids. Would you stand up, Aaron and kids? Come on. Welcome back. And Hannah. Yep. Glad you're here, and um, I could name all of you, but th there is one couple who's been here longer than any of you except me, and that's uh, Gordy and Virginia Lindstrom. I know it's tough, but can you stand up? We want to say thank you, guys. Thank you. Really appreciate it. The years um, have been fruitful, and I, I'm blown away. I'm just blown away. Pam and I were reminiscing the other, I got a short person podium today. It's just, it's just not staying up. Uh, we were reminiscing and just going, wow, God, you, you did something here. We, um, we're, we're still blown away that we're still here because when we signed up and said, yes, we'll take on this little tiny church in Renton that had 10 people on Sunday number one and zero on Sunday number two after I preached. <laughs> Literally, I'm honest, except for my family and a couple faithful friends. Um, we always had the attitude that, Lord, we serve you at your pleasure. This is not ours. We don't need this to feel good about ourselves. We're, we're not getting pumped by other people's praise and applause or our accomplishments. Uh, we're here to serve and lay down our lives, and um, that's never going to change. It hasn't changed over the years. And uh, so... I want to tell you, thank you. You guys have trained us. We've been discipled by this experience with you, and you've graciously walked with us, and you've put up with us. And uh, the fruit that has been born in your lives and in ours is, all goes to the glory of Jesus. He's the one ultimately who's done it all, and it has been an honor and a privilege, really, to be part of this. And what's kind of, we're also, Pam and I were saying, it's not like anything's over. We're actually going to be here next Sunday. We're not going anywhere, you know. And uh, if Kevin will have me, I'm going to preach every now and then, too. I just, don't, I just don't want to be on the clock anymore. I have another job, you know. I work hard now. Well, I worked hard before. <laughs> Rewind. Let's say it's a lot more physically demanding than my old job. So, 
So um, I, I just want you to know that this is, really is a new beginning, just a new season where we all get to grow together, and it's been pretty spectacular to watch you grow up and watch our kids grow up and our grandkids now, and they all love Jesus, and they're still part of our tribe, and they haven't run off to do something else. They still love the Lord, and that's, to me, the greatest testimony of our Christianity is not you. You're number two, actually. It's our kids and our grandkids. And so um, I just want to encourage you parents, be the same person on Sunday that you are on Monday through Saturday. That, that's the key to everything. So your kids don't become disenchanted with your Jesus. They love him as much as you do. I talked about a book um, last time I, I shared called Every Moment Holy. And uh, I just want to, I'm not going to read any of the liturgies, but this is a book on liturgy, and it's kind of a modern-day version of how to do liturgies that actually matter. Instead of having some old ritualistic language that you don't understand and doesn't apply, um, this author forgot his name, but I, I'm sharing a couple things so you can go get it. It is a wonderful book. There are liturgies for... Uh, domestic days, liturgies for one who is employed, and liturgies for those who employ others. A liturgy for laundering. Can you imagine praying over your dirty clothes? I think that's pretty darn cool. Um, a liturgy for preparation of a meal, liturgy for an artisan meal, liturgy for a hurried preparation of a meal. Yeah, when things aren't going so well. I mean, I like this, guys. A liturgy for home repairs for waiters and waitresses, for first responders, medical providers. How about a liturgy for before taking the stage? You who do this worship stuff, you know how freaked out you get every Sunday morning? Your body just sort of, you know, goes haywire. It's scary. Anyway, a wonderful book. I encourage you to get it or get it for somebody you love. Since we're talking about prayer, the Lord's Prayer, if you would stand with me, I'd like to read the Lord's Prayer along with you. Jesus is giving his followers, those in the kingdom and those outside the kingdom, instructions on how to address God, their maker. And he says, if you'd read it with me, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You may have a seat. I love Pastor Kevin's uh, insight last week. I'd never heard this before when, when he shared that um, the Jews were raised with the instruction to always pray the perfect prayer, which had to begin with, Lord, may your kingdom and your Messiah come. And that was the Jewish way of praying. And yet when Jesus was instructing his followers, he left out one very important part. He said, may your kingdom come blank. Because why? The Messiah was already here. And I find it fascinating that Jesus didn't explain that to anybody. He just kind of left it out to see what would happen. Who was going to get it and who wasn't? And that's one of the intriguing things about God is he doesn't explain everything on purpose. That can be frustrating or it could be fascinating. And so thank you, Kevin, for sharing that with me because I, I, I thought, that is really cool. Jesus is such an excellent teacher. He just draws us in. We're just kind of going... I don't know, kind of like an ant after the sugar, you know, we just were like, I know there's something out there somewhere. 
And so he's teaching us how to pray. And, and I want to just review again this particular crowd that he's teaching. He's not just talking to the Christians. In fact, if you go back to Matthew 4.24, there's a, a spot that says who the crowd was at the Sermon on the Mount to whom Jesus is teaching. And Matthew tells us, news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain. This is his audience he's talking to about prayer. The demon-possessed. Those having seizures and the region across the Jordan followed him. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Okay, listen. This is the crowd he's speaking to, and he's telling the demon-possessed, pray like this. I want you, demon-possessed person, to pray like this. Our Father. Talk about open arm invitation to every breathing human being. Not only that, but the pagans from the Decapolis, the ten cities that Rome planted in an attempt to kind of gentrify Israel to become Roman. So they were all Roman citizens who were kind of uprooted from their home country, planted in Israel to kind of influence the Jews to stop being Jewish and start being Roman. And you know they brought with them all of their pagan exercises, their practices. There could have been some gender-confused people there. And Jesus said to them, I want you to pray like this. Our Father. I really think it's critical that we capture this because Christians can be a little snooty sometimes. And we think we're pretty special. And we are. But God is no respecter of persons. He is not prejudiced. He is not biased. He doesn't hold our sin against us. He wants. In fact, that's probably why Paul said in, uh, to 1 Timothy, where was it? 1 Timothy 2.8, I would that all men everywhere pray. 1 Timothy 2.8. He really meant all men, not just the believers. So this is his invitation to all of humanity. And so fellow Christian, as I shared last time, can we just be a little bit more open-armed as well? If you work with a Muslim and they offer to pray for you, in fact, one of you told me a story. They offered to pray for you and you're worried about demons. I say, let them pray. If they're talking to their version of God, you talk to your version of God because he said, all men will come to me, but they can't come to me unless the Father draws them to me, Jesus. So if they're praying to God, God is going to work. So this is the wide open arm invitation Jesus has given to us. And he's saying, everybody, everywhere, always, just acknowledge me. So let's take a few pointers from verse 11 especially. He says, give us today our daily bread. First point is God is concerned about everything. God is concerned about everything, everything that affects us. I, I love, again, Jesus, the master instructor, he puts two things back to back that are light years apart. The verse right before that, he says, I want you to pray like this. Your kingdom, come. Let your will, I mean, it's like glacial in size. Glacial. Galaxies. Humongous. The entire universe. May your kingdom and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then 
ask for a slice of bread. Isn't that interesting? It's like from macrocosmos to microcosmic and everything in between. Unbelievable. He says everything, the entire span of the universe is under God's dominion. And I want you to pray about it all. Nothing too small, nothing too big. In fact, I've got some pictures of some of the biggest things in the universe. A couple of uh, galaxies. Let's take a look at this. You know, the Hubble telescope's been up there for like 10 or 20 years, taking pictures, sending them back to Earth. I mean, God designed this galaxy's millions of light years away. Let's do about five more. Look at that. Is that beautiful? Look at God's handiwork. Look at that one. Wait. It's like a butterfly or like twin jellyfish or something. That's the actual shape of it. Go ahead. Now, that's hard to believe. Those are gases in the atmosphere that create, and it has a name, and I forgot, what, I think they call it three pillars or something like that. Okay, there's a couple more. Just amazing. It's like lava boiling or something. Go on. There's another one. That looks kind of like a person. Okay, right there. Yeah, yeah. That looks kind of like a person sort of, I don't know, charging out like an angel or something. Okay, and the last one, of course. There's a name for this, and I forgot what it was, but look at that. Okay, this is God's handiwork. That's part of his kingdom. He manages this. This is like on his agenda every day. He kind of schedules things around stuff like this. That's like within his reach. I want you to pray about everything from the expanses of the kingdom to, can I have some bread, please? And everything in between. Well, I decided to take a look into also what's the smallest particle that's been discovered in the universe. And I found out that, you know, way back in the time of the Greeks, um, they proposed that there were objects that could be indefinitely split in half and in half and in half and in half and in half until it could be split no longer. And they had already, way back, thousands of years ago, speculated that there was an item called the atom that could be split no further. That is the basic makeup of all life. That is the smallest possible particle that could ever exist. They got the word from atomos. Remember in your Greek lessons here on Sunday morning, the letter A before a word means not that. Not splittable. That's why they call it the atom. Until about 1938, somebody crashed some atoms into each other and split into three more parts, protons, neutrons, and electrons. That's the smallest particle on the planet. Well, until 1964, they smash them together at a higher speed, and the smallest particle yet to be known to man is called the quark. A quark is a billionth of a billionth of a grain of sand. Okay, the tiniest thing on earth. So Jesus is trying to, I mean, maybe in his day, the loaf of bread was about as small as things got. I don't know, grains of sand, sure. But he's saying everything in between. Here's how I want you to pray. Everything. Not only is God unaffected by the size of our need, he's also unaffected by the fact that we don't understand his order sometimes. You know, he created things with order in the universe. And he's inviting us to pray so that if we're not in alignment with the created order of things, and we don't even understand or see what that order should be for our lives, he says, just pray for that. God will give you wisdom and revelation so that you can align your life with my created order. You know, people who are in line with God generally have a better life than those who aren't. I was sitting with uh, 
a bunch of us Saturday last week after we had our prayer walk. We came back for a little feast here, and it was really awesome. And at my table, my sister Jody shared um, a revelation God gave her while she was walking around the neighborhood about uh, nature, the trees and the pine cones and everything else. And, and it reminded her of a study she did back in college on the Fibonacci sequence. And she's telling us about this Fibonacci sequence. There's this just kind of the order to the universe that it just never changes. It's fixed. And I was so enthralled. I go, I got I to gotta look that up, man. So I did some research, and uh, I found out that the Fibonacci sequence is a series of numbers that actually it displays the way pine cones are built. And they're always the same. And the petals on a flower, the number always is dictated by the Fibonacci sequence. So I thought I'd find a little video and give you a little lesson on the Fibonacci sequence. Take a look. Math wasn't made up to harass English majors. It was invented by a little something called nature. And it's everywhere you look. In fact, there are specific numbers that we see in nature all the time. Together, they're called the Fibonacci sequence, and it goes something like this. 1, 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 13, 21, 34, 55. You may know this pattern. The first and the second add up to the third, and the second and the third add up to the fourth, and the fourth and the fifth add up to the sixth, and so on. The sequence was first described by mathematicians in India about 1300 years ago, and it was introduced to the West in 1202 by Leonardo of Pisa, a.k.a. Fibonacci, who is also responsible for introducing Arabic numerals to Europe, which, yeah, if he hadn't done that, we'd still be counting in Roman numerals, which would be terrible. Fibonacci was a mathematician, and in his book Liver Abici, he described this sequence with a thought experiment about a family of incestuous bunnies. If you put one boy bunny and one girl bunny together, that's two, and those two together will make a third, and those three, when they're done, you know, taking turns will make five, etc. But the easiest place to find these numbers in nature isn't in bunnies, it's in plants. If you cut a banana into slices, you'll see that it has three distinct sections. An apple has five. No matter what kind of flower you're looking at, chances are it has three, five, eight, thirteen, or twenty-one petals. Rows of seeds and sunflowers and pine cones always add up to Fibonacci numbers. Now plants don't grow this way because they're receiving some kind of mysterious cosmic mandate. They're doing it because it's the most efficient way to pack as many seeds as possible into a small space. And if you want to see why that is, you can go watch Vihart's video, which is linked in the description, and it's awesome. But in addition to the numbers themselves, you also see the same ratio between Fibonacci numbers showing up. See, when you divide almost any Fibonacci number by the one before it in the sequence, especially the larger ones, you get the same number. 1.618 dot dot dot, well, lots of numbers. The Greeks discovered this long before Fibonacci, and they called it phi. Today, it's sometimes known as the golden ratio. Phi was purportedly used by the ancient Greek sculptor Phidias to illustrate the idea of physical perfection. He's said to have used phi as a ratio between a statue's total height and the distance from the bottom of its feet to its navel, for instance, and also the length of a face divided by its width. There's a whole other set of patterns in nature that are based on what's called the golden rectangle. A rectangle whose side lengths are successive Fibonacci numbers, like 8 by 13. This rectangle can be divided up into a series of squares whose lengths are also successive Fibonacci numbers. In this case, 1 by 1, 2 by 2, 3 by 3, 5 by 5, and 8 by 8. When you draw an arc from one corner of each square to the other, they join to form a spiral that resembles many of the spirals we observe in nature. From the unfolding leaves of a desert succulent to the arrangement of those pinecone lobes and sunflower seeds and the shells of some snails. The math, you guys. It can be beautiful, too. Thanks for watching this episode of SciShow. If you'd like to get in touch with us, leave suggestions or ideas, 
will be in the comments below or on Facebook or Twitter. And if you want to continue getting smarter with us, you can go to youtube.com slash scishow and subscribe. <laughs> cool, huh? So I love it because what God has done is he's already established order in the universe. And when Jesus is inviting us to pray and kind of get God's perspective and to cry out for help, he's really asking us to help us become aligned because we don't always see it. We don't always understand it. I didn't know that sequence existed. I didn't know that shells, you know that perfect spiral, that seashell? It's like, how did that happen? But it's everywhere in nature. It's a fixed reality that God has built and created into it. And so when we pray, we're actually asking God to do everything from alpha to omega and everything in between, as well as to help us to align our lives with him. That's why he said, pray always, all the time. I need you to cry out so that you can become everything I created you to be. I have to remember, too, that Jesus said, if God notices when the smallest sparrow falls to the ground and cares, how much more will he care for you? Sparrows were not created in God's image, and yet his passionate love for them is immeasurable. How much more are you who were created in his image? Second thing I see in this brief little passage, give us today our daily bread, is um, that prayer is based on some unchangeable assumptions. You know, an assumption is when you just accept that a, a base truth exists and everybody agrees with that, and then you move on from there to build a case. An assumption is like, okay, let's just assume that the Earth is round. Now let's build a case about orbits and stratospheres and gravity and all that kind of stuff. Let's all assume that air contains two hydrogen molecules and one oxygen, H2O, yeah. Let's just assume that now let's build other gases from there. Okay, that's an assumption. Prayer has some assumptions too. There are some base realities that we have to deal with, and I, and I love it. It becomes so clear when you... Ask the question, why does Jesus begin with the phrase, give us? Father, give us. What does that imply? What's built into that question, give us? Go ahead, give, take a shot. That God, that God provides everything. Good. Yeah, what else? It's humanity. It's humanity. His humanity. Oh, his humanity. Yep. Yeah, what else? Something even more basic. Humanity is lacking. There is a built-in need. The day you breathed your first breath, even the day you were conceived, the assumption is we walk around needy every single day. That's a given. And God has put into us, he's also built another assumption, is that every living thing has a survival instinct. Every living thing tries not to die. Isn't that good to know? Rocks don't care if they die. Dirt doesn't ever get thirsty. Air's not hungry. But living things are. We have built into us this need for provision. Now, the key difference between plants and animals and people are that plants and animals aren't aware of their need. They just instinctually try not to die. They just instinctively, you know, plants try to find the water and they try to aim toward the sun. But they're not thinking about it. Only man is conscious, able to process his needs and talk about it and say things like, Father, give me food. I'm hungry. 
That is a, quite a, a profound difference between mankind and every other living thing. And I think Jesus wants us to elevate the, the power and profundity of that reality. Let's just start with the fact that we're born needy. We're just born this way, and he, he did that on purpose. Now, here's the question. Why do you think he did that? To be mean? So he could feel all-powerful? So he could feel loved? I need your love. No, it's none of that. Relationship. Yeah, relationship. He, he created an inborn dependency on his provision because he's trying. Here, now, here's kind of a wild theory. I think he's trying to leverage us toward him. You know what leverage is. It's like when you have a little bit of an you know, extra boost on your fulcrum, you know, and you can get that thing off the ground where normally you couldn't lift it. He's like using our neediness to leverage us toward him. And so he's saying, let's, Jesus, let's just keep this like as an everyday, all the time understanding. You can't live without me. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's all about relationship back to him. So it's important for us as followers of Christ to, um, to pray not because we're unsure. I don't know if we're going to eat tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to make enough money. I don't know if the bills are going to get paid. I don't know if things are going to work out. We don't really know any of those things. What he really wants us to do is pray because the truth is we can't, cannot live without him. We just can't. And he wants that relationship to continue every day, all the time, all day long, so that when things do come our way, we're thankful for it. When they aren't seeming to come our way, we'll continue letting him know. You're it, God. You're my only and everything. You're my supply, my source, my all. So he's trying to develop this. It's like an atmosphere of prayer, more than necessarily a dedicated time, nothing against dedicated times and moments and lists and everything else. But he's really inviting, keep in mind, every person in the crowd to the reality that their maker designed them to need him. And it's one of the ways I think people come to Christ because they encounter something they can't personally overcome on their own. Their human abilities may have gotten them so far, but they hit a ceiling. And that's, they keep banging at it and they cannot get to the next level. God uses that, I think, to say there's got to be more to this than me. So I love that that simple question, we're, we're just saying, he's telling us, say, God, you give us today our daily bread. Because he wants us to remember that relationship is what he was all about from the very beginning, always will be. And again, Paul said, 1 Timothy 2.8, that's why I wish every man would pray. That's why I want to encourage you. I was talking to an old friend, buddy I lived with back in the 70s. We went to high school together, played guitar together yesterday. Not sure where he's at with the Lord, but he's very respectful of my position and stuff like that. And we hadn't talked for about five years, and he called. I picked up the phone, and um, we had a long conversation. He told me about a friend whose wife is dealing with some life-ending disease, and I said, oh, man, I'll be praying for her. Oh, thank you so much, Alex. All we're doing is acknowledging there's a God, and that prayer means someone else is getting involved here that's not us. And you can have those kind of conversations all the time, all day long. I'm, I'm being a little cautious at work with my new friends, but um, there have been a couple times, man, I've just wanted to say, I'll pray for you. 
And almost all the time when you do that, people will go, thank you. Rarely will they go, ugh, ugh. <laughs> they just don't. So Jesus is inviting all of us to understand these assumptions about our life and our dependency and our need for him is universal, and he's trying to use that to remind us to just talk to him all the time. Give thanks when things go well. Cry out when they don't. Then there's another simple word which I... God is so kind. It's that word today. God wants to meet our needs today and every day. Let's focus on that word. Not only were there um, the pagans and the demon-possessed and the Gentiles in the crowd, but there were Jews. I'm sure there are tons of Jews. Do you think there was anything that sparked in the mind of the Jews when Jesus said, pray like this, give us today our daily bread. Any faded memories they might have conjured up that you can think of in their history? Manna. Manna. They knew all about daily bread. I mean, God was very specific about when the Jews were in the wilderness and they were not able to farm their they weren't going to eat their cattle and their sheep. They had to get them to the promised land. They were very familiar about the provision. In fact, let's read it in, in Exodus chapter 16, verse 4 and 5. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from the heavens for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. And then, on the sixth day, they shall prepare to bring in twice as much as they gather daily. So it was already just built into the psyche of God's people, the Israelites, the Jewish nation, that he was a God who provides daily. And for a season of life in the wilderness, that's all they got, but it was always enough, to the point where he said, I also told you to rest one day a week, so I'm going to give you a day off. On the last day of the week, I'm going to give you double the portion. So you don't have to go gather on the following day, which would have been Saturday. I, I just want to step back and say, you know, it's cool that God is interested in prospering you and I enough during our regular week of work or taking care of kids or doing the house chores, whatever it is, that we can actually have a day of rest at the end. We don't have to be driven by this American work ethic. God wants to prosper us enough to rest on a regular basis, whether it's Sunday or Wednesday or Tuesday or halfway through Thursday and Friday. But Jesus is saying, you know, this daily provision kind of thing, daily provision thing has already been worked into your culture, Jewish nation. And what I hear him saying is, I'm also inviting everybody who's outside the Jewish family into the miraculous manna of provision. You need to know that that was a miracle, what happened back in history. And it's still a miracle today, and it's for all men. You know, Jesus very clearly said, God sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. It's a miracle that humans have enough of anything. It's all a miracle. It's all his particular handiwork providing for us every step of the way. And so when we think about the todayness of praying and letting our needs be known, um, we need to understand it's always, everything's a miracle. 
the job you have, the kids you have, the spouse that you luckily found, you didn't deserve him or her. Everything you possess, everything you own, they're a miracle in the handiwork of God. And so Jesus is trying to say, hey, all of you outsiders who are not in the family of the Jews right now, I'm inviting all of you into the miraculous provision of my Father's hand. Again, the universality of humanity learning to cry out to their maker is something Jesus wanted to underscore over and over and over again. Because he's willing that none should perish, amen? And that all would experience this kind of, in times of lack, it's actually leveraging toward their maker for relationship. And that we're to converse about that, be conscious of our hunger and our needs and, and converse with him about them because we are unique among creation. Only people get to pray. I'm sure there are some really sad poinsettias who really wish they could pray, but they just can't. Rocks don't even have a mouth. I mean, they just can't, nothing. We have to just understand what an honor and a privilege and a, a holy thing it is that we get to talk to God, let our needs be made known, and having him already established the assumption on the other end of that equation that he will. That's an assumption we can always make. So if we can begin this new season of our lives with our new pastor, and hasn't been confirmed who that is yet, but we all have an idea. Um, what I want to leave you with as my last official sermon that I'm getting paid for um, so would you learn to pray and, and just kind of change the way you think about prayer and about your God and uh, take advantage of the access Jesus has given you to the throne of grace early and often. Come boldly, make your needs known to God. Don't let every, anything ever get so big that you think, ah, I need to go to a counselor. <laughs> go to a counselor, fine, but God is behind the counselor and speaking through you, and that's, that's your source of healing and hope. We can witness firsthand how much God cares for us when we ask and pay attention and then acknowledge when he answers. It's really important to ask and then acknowledge when he answers. We were designed for dependency because he wants us in relationship, even on the most fundamental. I mean, I don't know. I think some things are pretty dumb that I pray for. How about you? God, I can't get this lug nut off. You please help? Seriously. Nothing is too small for him. Can we become those kind of people if we're not already and just fire each other up and just think, but God... Yeah, but God. And then finally, remember that he wants to invite all humans into the world of the miraculous. What he did for the Jews in the wilderness is not an isolated incident. That's a way of life. And finally, because I just love people who don't yet know him, I want to remind you as well, um, be inclusive when it comes to talking about your God. Discern in your mind the line between followers of Christ and followers of other so-called prophets and saviors. There's a distinct line, Scripture says. But it's not time to um, segregate those people out when they're just talking about God. That's time to say, yeah, yeah, let's pray together. Was it one of you? I'm going to go back. Somebody told me there's a Muslim friend 
who said, can I pray for your marriage? Was that one of you here? It was. Yeah, that's right, it's dad. And he was going, ah. He and I were kind of raised alike. We were pretty religious back in the day. Ah. And uh, I just want to say to you, Thad, and anybody else, yeah, let's pray. Let's pray to God. Let's just start with God. And see what the Holy Spirit does, because they know if you're a believer in Christ and you have zeroed in on Jesus and Jesus only, they're going to know that eventually. You don't have to stick a needle in their eyes and say, yeah, I'm that man, I'm not praying with you. <laughs> so let's stand together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your all-inclusive love, Lord God. You're willing that none should perish. And Lord, those of us who've been chosen by you, by hand, hand-picked out of the millions of people on planet Earth, Lord, we are honored and humbled by that fact, knowing it had nothing to do with us, our value, our worth, or our brilliance. It was sovereign love on your part and sovereign grace that we had the lights go on and we understood that Jesus died for me. And because of that, Father, we want to learn how to be people who pray on a regular basis, who really treat you like you're our Abba, our Father, and our everything. That we learn to give thanks to you and acknowledge you regularly. And that even at the right times, we're verbal about our trust and confidence in you. So, Father, help us to grow into the people of prayer. Make this a house of prayer, Father, so that all nations, all nations will know that you sent your Son for them too. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. So good. Awesome. Hey, so I'm going to give you the option here. You can stand for another three minutes or you can sit down. All right. You made your choice. Go ahead, Sean. You're making your choice. Um, so I'm going to invite... Pastor Pam to come up. <laughs> so um, there's a reason why we're calling today Sweet Endings and New Beginnings and not calling it Sweet Finish and whatever's next, right? Because they're not done. So they're not done. So it's just the ending of something and the beginning of something. And so I'm not going to say well done because you're not done. You have much to do. Yes, you have much to do. Yes. So God speaks to me in weird ways at times. And so um, maybe you too. But you know the whole free-range chickens thing? Okay. I'm not calling you guys chickens, but, um, but it was one of those things where the, I was just back there during worship, and the Lord says, I'm setting them free. They're going to be free-range pastors for me. I'm set, going to set them free. So, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Pam just said, I'm a tough old bird. So, so I guess it was prophetic. All right, that's great. Hey, I also want to invite their three daughters to come up who have been with them this whole time. Oh, they're coming in sequence. I like it. Jess and Claire and Adrian. Come on up, girls. So amazing. What a family. 
cool family. Aren't they special? Yeah. Yeah, they are. Hey, we want to just pray for them this morning real quick. Um, we are going to eat. We invite you to stay. If you walk out there in the hall and you smell, um, Des has been in there cooking. Um, and, oh, it smells so good out there. So it's going to be a little messy. As soon as we say amen, we need to start stacking chairs. We have like nine tables we need to bring in and some tablecloths. Use that time to go ahead and fill out some cards. Also use that time to help us. That would be great. Because um, we do this together, right? We're going to do this together as, as, as the church. Um, so can you extend your hands? God, we thank you that everything you do is sweet. There's no bitterness in you. And so we thank you for sweet lives that are represented here on the stage. We thank you for sweet ministries that have happened. We thank you for all the sweet moments that have happened. Oh, God, we pray that there would be even more sweetness, even more moments with you. And as they are free to go wherever you lead them to go, um, God, I pray that you, you would just speak through them, that you'd use them, that you would encourage them, that they would feel closer to you now than they have ever, ever felt before, and that they would feel useful to you more now than ever, ever, ever before, just free. Because Jesus, who you set free, you said they are free. Nothing holds them back. So we pray nothing would hold them back. We pray for their health. We pray for just everything about them. Alex's job, just everything. Their home and their family. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. And the church said? Amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. All right. Hey, let's stack some chairs. We're going to stack some chairs and... Uh, and get to eating.